Good morning. The scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old, old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Scott. Good morning, Antioch. Oh, nice. You guys are engaged. That's good. We're going to need that today. Do you remember the uh, old children's song? Um, You can help me with it. The wise man built his... All right. Um, and, uh, and, and the house on the rock stood firm. Good. And then the, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the house on the sand? All right. It's pretty good, but and, and we got to do that together. Ready? And the house on the sand went splat. Good. That's actually Jesus. I don't know about this. I don't know how the splat part was, uh, how he expressed that. But that was in Luke chapter six. That uh, parable, the, the story that Jesus told. I think he probably did the splat thing. You know, that's probably where it came from. Um, I could just see him doing that with the kids. Can you see that? Uh, that'd be awesome. And you know, this morning as I look into this passage that we're going to come into. We're talking about our foundation. What foundation are we building on? How can you know if a house is built on a decent foundation or if it's built on sand? When you look at the outside of the house, it might look fine. Either way, it might look just fine. Um, But you can know it gets revealed when the ground shakes. It gets revealed when the hurricane comes. It gets revealed when the, the environment or the growth or the, something tests that, pushes and pulls, and then we begin to find out, hey, is this thing anchored into a good foundation, or is it going to fall apart, because it's not. And when I think about the last four years of life for us, the last four years of life for churches, 
There's been a lot of ground shaking happening um, from, gosh, what, I mean, what's been shaking us in the last four years? Um, political craziness and COVID and um, what else? Uh, the, the economy has changed in, in all kinds of ways. Um, racism and gun violence and gender issues and all this stuff are like pushing and pulling on the church and revealing whether or not we're on a good foundation. And some churches have cracked, and some have had groups splinter off, some have gone splat and fallen down, and some have stood really well, stood really firm, because they were anchored not on other things, but they were anchored in Christ. And so this morning we want to talk about that. Um, Last week, Herb spoke. Um, Hello, Herb. Good to see you here today. It's wonderful. Um, thank you. And he, he talked to us about the very end of chapter 3 in 1 Timothy. And uh, just for a real quick review, because it ties to today's passage, Paul said, I'm writing these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, when, when a writer in the Bible says, I'm, I'm writing this letter for this reason, pay attention to that. That's telling you why the book's there. So everything else in the book is serving that purpose. That's why he wrote the letter. And he's saying, I wrote this letter so that people can know how we should conduct ourselves in God's house. God's house, which is, which is the foundation of the gospel. And then he goes to describe what that foundation is anchored on, what it is built on. He says it's built on Jesus Christ. Uh, he says that the mystery of true godliness is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, preached by the nations, believed on by the world, and taken up in glory. The the household of the church has a good foundation. God built it. It has a good foundation, but that foundation has to remain on Christ, on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. I thought about that that hymn that we sing sometimes. It says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Built on that I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Should have given you more heads up, Ryan, on that, so we can sing that together today. I'm not going to lead it in song, um, neither children's song nor that one. Um, but... But today I want to talk to you about 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Is he's going to talk about the foundation that we build this house on. And we need to be real clear on what that foundation is. That that foundation is, is on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, not on something that's similar to it, but not solid. Uh, let's pray together before we dive into this, this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word together. We trust you, we trust your word, and we know that Jesus Christ is our solid rock. 
We want to build on him. So, Father, help us as we understand what Paul said and understand how to apply it right now in today's, uh, today's reality where we live uh, and, and worship together. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul is giving a warning to Timothy. Timothy, as you're leading this church, you've got to watch out for false gospels. You've got to watch out for these other things that will creep in or come into the church and pull us or shift us to a different foundation. He says in the first verses, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such things will come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Latter times just means now. <laughs> That's the time between when Jesus left the earth and ascended and the time when Jesus will come back. We're in it. And he gives some pretty strong words in this warning. Uh, he's not messing around, right? Things taught by demons. Anybody here following things taught by demons? We don't think so. Um, things taught by hypocritical liars? There are a lot of hypocritical liars around. With a seared conscience, which means they're not even aware that what they're teaching isn't biblical, that what they're calling us to isn't on Christ. They don't even have that awareness anymore, and so we have to be aware. We have to be smart. We have to help each other make sure we build this church on Christ and nothing else. Paul is saying, man, this other stuff is just evil. It's, it's just evil, and we've got to learn to recognize it. I mean, if, if I came and said, you know what, we're not going to talk about the cross anymore. Let's take this down, and let's not have cross. Let's not talk about that anymore. Instead, I've fashioned out of gold this baby cow. And we're going to set that up over here, and we'll worship that on Sunday morning. Right? We laugh, because we think, well, how stupid are we? We would never do that. And yet, it kind of is what happened to the people of God in Exodus. Um, but what if, what, if we, what if we said, no, 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 we want to hold to Jesus. We love Jesus. We just want to have a little, we just want something else, too. I think that, that a, a definition of a false gospel is Jesus plus something else. If, if, if I tell you or someone else tells you or we agree that, yep, we, we love Jesus and you have to hold this view or have this opinion or do this thing, now we're, we're in trouble. We're pulling off of the center, off the solid ground. We're getting on shaky ground. And we need to be aware of that. That was happening in this church. That's why Paul's pointing it out. In fact, he tells he calls these people out directly who were actually doing it. It was a it was a, a concept back in the first century called asceticism, which basically means like if you're just enjoying the good things in life, you're too earthly. You're not really connecting with spiritual reality. So you need to you need to avoid the pleasures of this world. Um, you, you can't enjoy that. Or, or you're not a good Christian. Paul says of the people doing this in their church, they forbid people to marry. And they order them to abstain from certain foods. 
which God created, to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good. Nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. So he's calling these people out like this was a cultural idea, this asceticism that you need to deny yourself in these certain areas. And Paul's like, no, 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 that's, you, that's not what God's word teaches. For example, they were saying, you know what, you're not quite as godly if you get married. Some of you are like, well, I'm married. <laughs> Some of you are like, well, I'm not. Well, you're a child of God either way. Um, forbidding people to get married. When God's word clearly says marriage is a good thing, it's fine. Uh, you know, God made a wife for Adam because he thought that would be a good idea. Um, Paul says early in another book, you know, like, hey, if you're single, great. Serve the Lord with your time and with your energy. If you want to get married, great. If you find a wife, you find something good. Enjoy that. That's what God's word teaches. But here they were teaching something else. You can't get married and be a good Christian. I mean, what happens when we teach that? We have a pretty good example if we look at the Catholic Church, who's taught for a long time, if you want to serve the church, if you want to be a better Christian, if you really want to get it right and be a nun or a priest, you, have to, you can't get married. That's an extra-biblical idea. It's, it's, it's a reflection of what Paul was warning against and what's happened. The sex abuse scandals have, have literally rocked the, the Catholic Church all the way around the entire world. I mean, it's unbelievable, horrible what happened as a result of requiring people to do something God's Word doesn't teach. We don't want to do that. Or, he says, these people also teach to abstain from certain foods. Um, you know, like the Old Testament had some food requirements, but Jesus and Peter made it really clear. We can eat whatever God gives us to eat, and we can enjoy it. And that's fine. But Paul is harsh about this stuff. I mean, he's like being really clear. He says, these are things taught by deceiving spirits and demons that come through hypocritical liars. Why is Paul so strong in speaking out against adding anything to Jesus? Because as soon as we do it, we lose the true gospel. As soon as we say you have to also X, Y, and Z, then we lose the significance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone who comes to this church and we're over building on a sand foundation, they can't even get saved here because they think salvation is conforming to this. Instead of building on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ alone, and people who, who need to be saved don't get saved. The grace of God gets lost. We lose all the best things about being followers of Jesus. And all we have left at the end of the day, if we're off base, is some kind of false piety. Look at me, I've got it all figured out. Look at us, we're better than the other churches. And God's like, wow, you guys have missed the boat. You've really missed it. Now, imagine for a second this letter of 1 Timothy, right? Paul writes it to Timothy. 
this letter would have been read out loud in their church who had people in it doing these things. And so it's being read out loud, and people are all looking around at, like, like looking at Steve, because like Steve's been telling everyone we can't get married if we really want to be godly, right? I mean, it would have made people feel pretty uncomfortable and pretty awkward. It would have been tough to hear. And as I was thinking about this for today, what, what does this mean for us? Um, you know, we've got to be clear on some things today. We've got to be really clear on some things. We don't struggle with asceticism of avoiding the things of the world. If, if anything, we struggle with gluttony. Um, we, we enjoy everything in the world, uh, and maybe too much so. But today, we, you know, we want to we find out what are some potential false gospels. What are things that we and churches like us are adding to Christ and pulling us away so uh, we talked about this at staff. I talked with the elders. Like, what are some of the things that are false gospels for us today? We want to acknowledge these things so we don't build on sand. So we build on a good foundation. And we want to acknowledge them because I'm tired. I'm tired of seeing people building on something that's not Christ. Working so hard, giving so hard, and building on something that's going to fail and die with this world. I'm tired of seeing Christians fail and fall into division and conflict and crisis because they disagree about these extra-biblical things. I'm tired of seeing people not saved and not reached with the gospel because churches are too busy building this other thing that kind of looks like a church, but it's not really built on Christ. And so we lose missions. We lose caring for the needy. We lose helping and supporting and loving one another because we're doing something else. And I'm kind of tired of it as a pastor. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually tired. Right, Moose? Is this exhausting when we see churches like we're working over here doing this other thing and we're missing the most important valuable ministries because we're not building on Christ? So I'm going to just name a few, we'll put them on the screen, and I just want to walk through a few of our current false gospels that churches are struggling with, and I mean churches like us. So this could be us. I think Antioch's doing well, but we need to know this and be aware of it. Um, the first one to mention is the false gospel of consumerism, right? We live in a nation. Hey, we love consumerism. It's great. Um, you know, I mean, when we grocery shop, we go to Aldi and we get some stuff, and then we go to Walmart and get the stuff that Aldi didn't have, and then if we really need to, we can go somewhere else, go to Sam's Club or whatever. But churches have kind of succumbed to this as well. And churches today, it, it's so common for churches to say, here's our menu of ministries. We've got stuff for everybody. We have education for all ages. We have men's ministry for the masculine men. We have support groups for the men who can't figure out how to be masculine men. We've got, we've got uh, support and, and parenting tips for busy moms. We've got stuff for kids. We've got stuff for youth. You know, we have all these different things for, for you, to serve you for, you, to, for your benefit. And then that is also the mindset of families to the point where 
it's become kind of accepted and normal to go, well, let's go to this church because we really like the worship, and, but we'll go to this church because they have this amazing women's ministry, they offer BSF, and let's go to this church for the youth group, and let's go to this church for this other activity, um, and that church's Easter egg hunt is fantastic. We're going to keep doing that. <laughs> That's like normal. Is that what God is calling us to? Is that what God, the church is supposed to be about? The church is the place where we come together to worship Jesus. We come together to worship him and figure out what he wants, and we do what he wants. It's not a place for us to come, uh, you know, split and go here and there so that we can all get what we want. We need to be aware um, Jesus plus the consumer mindset is a false idol. It's a false gospel. Another one is the false gospel of Christian health. Um, And um, we only named these because we see them. We see it. We see it, this, this whole thing of, um, you know, think about like the, the um, Spaniards left Spain to come to the new world to pursue the fountain of youth. If we can find the magical thing that keeps us from growing old, we'll come and slaughter anyone to get it, you know, uh, like what? And, but yet today we still have this pursuit for this fountain of youth, whatever it might be. Depends who you talk to. Um, You know, any kind of thing that can help us have some kind of energy and vitality that we all long for. But when that comes into the church and someone starts saying, well, this is how you get it. This is what's life-giving. I mean, Jesus is great, but Jesus plus my supplement. And wow, you'll really be living. You know, um, crunchy granola came up. Is like if you just have this homemade granola, or if you just add this powder to your beverages, or if you just take these pills, or if you would just get this air purifier, or if you would just get rid of, you know, these other things that are draining your energy in your home and ruining your aura, and you know, let, let's do all this extra stuff, and we push it. Now we're we're teaching something besides Jesus. Jesus is life giving. I mean, be healthy, right? We can all affirm that. Be healthy people. But we got to be careful not to let a brand of that come in and influence our gospel. Uh, And we've seen it a lot. Another false gospel to be aware of is the false gospel of Christian wealth. Christian wealth. You know, we used to teach and hear about, like, how do I manage my money? And we would, we would use this term, uh, stewardship, good stewardship. Stewardship means God owns all of, my thing, all of my money, and I'm managing it for his glory. There's been a shift in recent years in the way churches teach this, and it's less about stewarding God's resources, and it's a little bit more about wealth building. Have you noticed this maybe in other churches? There's a lot of talk about building wealth. I love building wealth. But that's not necessarily how, what God calls us to focus on as we come together as a church. Um, for instance, one example of it, um, I've, I love some of Dave Ramsey's teaching, and I use his budgeting app. It's super helpful for our family. But when you go into that, you, I hear most, almost everything I hear is about building wealth. And any common sense Christian should be a millionaire by the time you retire, etc., 
But what happened to this call to give it all away for Jesus? What happened to this call to embrace the poverty of Christ? What happened to the call to put other people's needs first? I don't hear that so much. I think we need to be careful if we're building this Jesus plus wealth building mentality. I just want to be honest, you know. It's easy for us as free church folks to sit back and say, oh, the charismatics and their health and wealth gospel. We have our versions of it too. And we need to be aware of that and be careful. Uh, Let me call out another one. You can hate me later if you want to. Um, There's another one called um, the perfect, the, the false gospel of perfect Christian family, where, uh, okay, as a church, we, we affirm biblical definition of marriage and, and biblical affirmations about family, right? Yes. But sometimes in affirming that, we can set up this standard for everybody that ends up being kind of unattainable. And it ends up excluding a lot of people. And we, sit, we can set up this standard. And, and some churches really get carried away with this. We want to be careful. I don't see this as a problem here so much. Um, and I'm glad for that. But man, this idea of pressure to create the perfect Christian family can become really toxic. Um, you know, especially when that involves, you know, the um, dad, dad has to run his own business while the entrepreneur stays home and makes money while raising this huge brood of kids who are all super intellectual and, and athletic, um, you know, and, and they all are well-behaved at church and, and, you know, probably a little bit better than your family, <laughs> whatever that looks like, and there's this pressure to compare and this pressure to succeed in these kind of terms. Uh, it can get really unhealthy um, we end up just creating shiny, happy people on the outside without dealing with uh, the problem of brokenness and sin on the inside. Um, and we should, we should be creating something else. All right, uh, last offensive thing that I want to say is the false gospel of, and I don't know what to call it, um, call it political Christianity. Um, there's this sense, you know, you feel it. There's this sense where you've got to pick a side. Um, so when you talk to someone else and you start to compare your opinions about the world and the government and the, uh, you know, all the things happening in current events, there's this, uh, there's this right or wrong, black or white, in or out, uh, you're with or you're against someone mentality. Right? I mean, we live in a two-party system, and so we have the left and we have the right, and we've got to use these things to define who we are, right? Jesus plus whatever group you affiliate with ends up carrying a lot of weight. It's happening in churches all around us, you know, and we paint one another into these corners, into these caricatures you know, you're either an alt-right Trump-supporting white Christian nationalist or you're a, a tree-hugging, gender-bending Marxist. <laughs> you're woke or you're anti-woke. There's so much talk about this stuff. Is that what Jesus called us to talk about? Is that what Jesus called us to, 
to become separated about the kingdoms of this world? And which kingdoms of this world we align with? Or did he call us to say we're part of the kingdom of God? Did you know that when I was a kid, when I was a kid, Republicans and Democrats used to go to church together? I know, this is crazy, but I actually remember sitting with my dad. And my dad would just be like, hey, see Harry over there? Uh, he's a small business owner. He's Republican, kind of works with the local Republican Party. I'm like, okay. And he says, see Jim over there? Jim's a union rep with the steel industry. He's a big Democrat. And I'd go, okay. And it'd be like, you just tell me about people in the church. And I'm thinking, and we're all here to worship Jesus. Cool. Today, you know, you get people with differences who don't want to sit in the same room together. It's not about Jesus anymore. It's become about something else. One thing that's always true of idolatry, idols demand sacrifices. And sometimes you'll see people being sacrificed by idol worshipers. Uh, how many of you know who Alistair Begg is? You've seen that? And then, yeah, some of you just grinned. Um, I mean, Alistair Begg's just a solid Bible teacher for decades. Awesome Bible teacher. Preaches the word. Great guy. He made some comments on his opinion about whether or not a grandmother should attend uh, her grandson's um, gay wedding or something, you know, just he's just gave, like here would be some pastoral counsel I might give. It didn't fit into the boxes. And man, he was, he was just trounced all week this week and de denounced and rejected and, and, and lost contracts where his show is broadcast on radio stations, all this stuff, because he didn't fit into a box. Instead of people saying, oh, here's a conversation that might be helpful to have. How could we express the love of Christ in the context of biblical truth? <laughs> We're past that. We just want to judge each other and marginalize one another. It's not a healthy place for the church to be. I want to just mention in the context of this idol, there are two things that are true of every single human being on earth. Two things that are true of every single one. Number one, every single human being on earth is created in the image of God. And, and every single human, I don't care what country you live in, or what you believe, or what political party you are, every person is created in the image of God, and therefore deserves dignity and respect at a human level. Number two, the second thing that's true of every single person on earth is they're all corrupted by sin. Every one of us myself included. Therefore, every human being on earth needs the only Savior from sin, which is Jesus Christ. They need the gospel, all of us, every single person. And when you're pushed and pulled with this political stuff, just check, check it by asking, is this, acknowledge, is, this, is this honoring these two things that are true of every person or is it dishonoring? If it's dishonoring them, it's dehumanizing them. I'll give you an example. I got to go spend some time in, in China uh, a few years ago, right before COVID. And I was teaching peacemaking to an NGO of uh, a mixed group, but a lot of Chinese Christians. 
who were trying to help provide a camp experience for disabled Chinese orphans. If you're a Chinese in China and you're disabled and you're an orphan, life's not real good for you, especially when their families are limited in size. It's not a good thing. And they were committing themselves to bringing the love of Jesus to these orphans and then trying to help get them adopted into homes and doing amazing work, beautiful people, under terrible circumstances, two people in our group were taken into the police before, before I left at the end of the week. It's terrible. They're giving so much. And I just fell in love with these wonderful brothers and sisters in Jesus. And then I came home. And then I came home, and they were just all chai comms. They were just communists who were spreading the China virus. And I was like, what is happening how is the tone in, this, in our culture so dehumanizing? I called my friend Tim, who lives in Big Lake and speaks Mandarin. I said, Tim, what are, you, what are you hearing from your Chinese friends in the area here? He said, they're terrified. They're closing businesses and fleeing out into the countryside because they're afraid for their safety. I'm like, what? where is the church? In the, like, just stepping up and saying, no, all people deserve human dignity and all people need the gospel but when we pull off onto shaky sinking ground on build on sand because we're adding some other thing to it we're making a mess and a lot of churches have made a mess and we want to be if we want to shine the light of christ we've got to we've got to figure out our foundation here brothers and sisters we've got to keep our, our foundation on jesus and so Paul is saying, Timothy, don't let that happen. Build on a solid foundation. Uh, I'm going to read this passage and give a, just a quick summary of the next paragraph, and then we're, we'll take communion together, which is a great representation of our solid foundation in Christ. Paul said, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Thank you. Um, have nothing to do with the godless myths and old wives' tales, but rather train yourself to be godly. Physical training has some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And this is why we labor and strive. Because we've put our hope in the living God, who's the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. We've got to keep, keep Christ at the center of our church. And, and building on him doesn't just happen. He uses terms like train yourself, labor, and strive. We need to work really hard when other voices come in to make sure we're following God's voice and staying anchored on Christ not being pulled into whatever is cool right now in the culture. But they were building on Christ, and he's describing essentially what are spiritual disciplines. Disciplines that I do and you do that keep us in the Word of God, that keep us in prayer and fasting. Disciplines that help keep us together as a church. Disciplines that keep us sharing our faith with non-believers. These kind of disciplines are what we build our 
ourselves up, we strengthen ourselves so that we can stay centered on Christ and stay anchored in him. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the next passage next week. He'll pick up on that idea of what are some of the ways that we can stay standing strong in Christ. So we'll pick it up then. But today, as part of our response, we, we do want to be able to invite you to communion, to come together uh, around the bread and the cup. If you're not familiar with what communion means, it's really just a time for us to come. We'll, we'll take a, a piece of bread, which represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us on the cross, and we'll take a cup which is just juice, but it represents his blood that was poured out for us as he gave his life for us on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin so that when we trust completely in him, our sin goes on the cross, he forgives us, we receive complete forgiveness and acceptance by God. He died for us so that we can live with him. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after after supper, he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you're a guest with us, if you don't know Jesus, just kind of watch what we're doing. But if, you've, if you're trusting Christ for salvation, you're welcome to participate in this with us. This is about Jesus. And so uh, the worship team's on their way up, and then they're going to do, during this first song, um, come on up, pick up a bread and cup, take it back with you to your seat, and then just... Say, say a prayer. Ask God to help us as a church to stay focused on him, to build on the solid rock of Jesus' blood and righteousness. Uh, and then join us together in worship. Would you pray? Lord, we give you thanks for Jesus and his sacrifice for us, for his resurrection and life for us, We know in your word, he's standing up for us. He's walking among the lampstands of his churches, tending to our flame, trying to keep us burning bright for him, for your glory, and for the the gospel that's so needed around the world and and in our own neighborhoods. Father, help us to not build on sand, but to be solid and secure. The culture is going to keep throwing stuff at us. The ground's going to keep shaking. But we want to stand on Jesus Christ. We want to be here when everything else falls apart because you are eternal and your word is true and your salvation is for everyone and it's forever. So help us, Father, to keep our both feet planted in Jesus. Help us to do that in our own hearts in these next moments of giving ourselves to you again, confessing our sin and trusting you completely in Jesus' name. Amen.